Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And I'm back today with a very special episode with a very special guest. But before I introduce that guest, I wanted to share a little backstory. And um, I just feel like it's important. And today's guest may not know all of this. So I I wanted to share um, to put today's interview in some context. So back in the summer of 2018, I went to my very first writers conference I had been dreaming about being a writer from as far back as I can remember. And through a number of incredible God things, (laughs) um, I started to finally go down a path towards writing, including meeting an incredible local author named James L. Rubart, Jim, who came along and encouraged me at just the right time. And I ended up going to the Oregon Christian Writers Conference. And let's just say that when I got to that conference, there were a lot of incredible people there but I was in a bit over my head. I had scrambled to prepare some writing samples and inquiries ahead of time, and I was promptly rejected by some agents. Um, Other people at the conference, nice people, asked me what I wrote, and I had no idea what to tell them. (laughs) And I was just feeling a little bit like an ugly fish out of water. And then this precious woman saw me. You know when somebody just sees you? Um, they just notice you. And her name was Judy Gann. She was having a meal at the same table I was that day, and she saw me. And she read my writing. She encouraged me. She spoke blessings. I mean, she just was incredible. She took her time out of her schedule to work with me and provide some helpful critique. And so later on, when an editor at that same conference actually expressed some interest in my project, she um, and then invited me to send in a full proposal. This woman, Judy, agreed to mentor me through the process. And one person, my friend Judy, kept mentioning to me was an author that I had never heard about named Trisha Goyer. In fact, in one email to me, my friend Judy, I went back and looked, admitted she had no idea why she kept referencing Trisha, but then encouraged me with some words she had learned from her. Um, My friend Judy quoted Trisha, but said it to me. She said, Janelle, God already sees the finished book. 
Well, later on in late 2018, when I saw that the same Trisha Goyer that I had never heard about, but now was hearing about a lot, was starting an online writers group, I had to join because I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to discover everything that my friend Judy had already shared with me. Trisha Goyer is an author of more than 70 books. She writes both fiction and nonfiction related to family and parenting. She's a USA Today bestselling author, has also won multiple awards throughout the years, including winning the title of Writer of the Year from the Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference. She's a beloved author of Amish fiction, as well as having written The Big Sky and Seven Brides for Seven Bachelors series. She also wrote an incredible book called Walk It Out. She has spoken at events such as MomCon, Raising Generations, and Teach Them Diligently conferences, and is also the host of the podcast Walk It Out. She is a homeschooling mom of 10, including seven by adoption. She is also a grandmother of four. Is that still right? Four? Oh, no. We have way more than that. <laughs> I got this off your website I today. I know. I need to, like, update that. <laughs> How many grandkids? There's more than four. Oh, six? Six. Seven? I don't know. I need to count. She's the grandmother of many children and wife <laughs> to her beloved husband, John. She strives to empower women to dream what's possible, whether it's in their families, their homes, or their work. And I just want to add this one thing. As someone who has benefited from two years of membership with her Write That Book Facebook group, she has proven herself as a wellspring of information, encouragement, and generosity. Over and over again, I've been amazed by all that she can continue to give and pour out. In fact, I once asked my friend Jim Rubart how she did it. And if I remember this incident correctly, he stated very matter-of-factly that she just clones herself. And I almost believed him. I'm thrilled to welcome my friend, Trisha Goyer, to the Finding Something Real podcast. Oh, thank you, Janelle. I have tears in my eyes, Janelle. And we're, I haven't even got started yet. And I love Judy. And I love Jim. And I love Janelle. So we're off to the here. <laughs> well, I just, I had, you, I had to let you know the story because um, I, I really do believe God brought you into my life for such a time as this, you know, and I'm just thrilled that you're here. I meant everything that I said. In fact, I don't think that there would be a Finding Something Real podcast if it weren't mm. for you. Uh, you encouraged me. I think it was some expert was talking on uh, one of your Facebook lives that it's done in the group in the um, write that book group. And you were like, what are you waiting for, Janelle? Just do it. I'll come on. I'll be your guest. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, okay. And so that was, you know, like 18 months ago, I started this podcast. And we, and finally We're here. So it is a long time <laughs> coming. And it's fitting that this is the last episode that I'm recording for 2020. I've already recorded all the rest. So I, it's a gift. Thank you. Thank you mm. for being here. Yeah, thank you for having so, me. Is there anything I missed? Because one thing I do know about you, Trisha, is you always have a project what are you working on right now and how can people find oh you? <laughs> yeah, well, my website is just trishagoyer.com, which I obviously need to update. <laughs> the funny thing is, okay, the number of grandkids. So we have officially, we have, my son Corey has four, Leslie has one. Um, and those are like, and then Maria has one. Those are our official kids. But then Kaylee is a young mom that basically we adopted into our family she's at our house right now mm -hmm. she has at our house every day she has three yeah. 
And then the four girls we adopted, they have an older sister that has two. So uh, people ask me that question. I'm like, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so really, like, if I'm if you count the people I'm buying Christmas gifts for, I have 10 grandkids. Yeah. So we'll just go there. <laughs> yeah. um, and then what I'm working on, I finished a novel on Miriam. Um, so my first biblical fiction this year. Wow. And then I just finished a book, turned into last week, on Todd Tillman, who won The Voice. Um, him and his wife, Brooke, have eight kids. And they adopted two, and he's the oldest winner of The Voice. He's a pastor from Mississippi that never sang anywhere but at church. And he won, like, never performed concerts or anything, and he won The Voice last year. And this is me on Facebook going, hey, does anyone know Todd Tillman? Because I'd really like to meet him and Brooke and interview his wife for my podcast. And by the end of that day, we were connected. Then I talked to my agent, like, we should do a book. And so he won on tuesday so on monday we were already zooming with my agent talking about a book so oh that was gosh. me kind of like fangirling and reaching out and there's a book coming with him that is so crazy so i was gonna ask you this question later but i think i'm just gonna ask you right now you have 10 kids as you just mm -hmm. shared a plethora of uh grandkids and people connected to you that you're loving on including your grandma your, is that correct yeah my grandma's 91 she's in the next room you might hear her yeah she like calls out and asks for snacks all the time so. <laughs> how mm, how do you do that because i think there's a lot of people who feel like if they have a lot of family a lot of people to love on they can't love on their dreams and you clearly mm. have pursued the dreams that God put on your heart, but then you also have this beautiful family that you're loving on. Yeah. Well, when I first started writing at Mount Hermon, um, I was, it was in 1994, I was 22 years old, pregnant with my third baby, go to this writer's <laughs> conference, like, I want to be a Christian writer. And uh, when I started writing, I had, so uh, newborn, and then two little ones. And so really, as my career has grown my family has grown and so it's just kind of like all grown at once and then just god has I've been able to like expand my time somehow i mean and it really mm -hmm. is just focusing on what needs to be focused on at the moment and then leaving the rest up to whenever it can happen so i homeschool um so we homeschool in the morning writing's usually in the afternoon um, sometimes I get up early to write. Most of my last novel was written between like 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. So I just get up early and write, uh, take a nap later that day. But um, really, it's just squeezing in all these things where they fit. And I, and I think when we do put the people in our lives and make them important, then they feel like I'm not robbing them by spending time doing other things. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I spent time with my little kids today. My 31-year-old works 20 minutes away. I met him for lunch. Um, so my other older son watched the kids so I could do that. It's really just like, how can I prioritize these people? And when they're feeling loved and when they're feeling cared for, if I say, hey, I'm going to go work for a couple hours, it's like it's not taking away from them because I'm, I'm giving to them throughout the day. So I think that mm -hmm. is kind of the balance, just loving the people and the other kind of stuff fits in. Yeah, oh, I love that. So um, I one of the things about this podcast is I want people to feel welcome here, no matter what their background, who they are, what their faith journey is. But lately, as I've really been thinking about who it is that I'm talking to on the other side of this, whoever's listening to this right now, I'm talking to you. Like, <laughs> um, it's the girl who's not sure about faith. Mm -hmm. uh, the one who maybe is 
in that, uh, you know, proverbial back pew of the church. She hasn't left yet, or maybe she hasn't come in yet, but she's thinking about faith. You know, it's something on her mind. And I know that I went through a season in my life where I could really identify with that girl. Um, And I know that you haven't always been the Mm -hmm. award-winning book author (laughs) of 10 kids and all these grandkids. So would you share your story and how uh, you kind of can identify with her as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born to a single mom. And I didn't know my biological dad till I was 28 is when I met mm-hmm. him. So I really grew up feeling that sense of loss. And like my, my mom didn't talk about it. It was just like this unknown thing. Um, she married my stepdad when I was four. So he was around um, and I had a little brother, but really he was not involved in my life. Um, he was just like, he, he was a police officer. He worked, he watched sports on TV. Um, and my mom was the one that was really like committed and connected and did stuff with me and my brother. And, um, she became a Christian when I was around second grade and we started going to this church. All of a sudden there's all these people that love God, and, but it was very new. And I think it was even very new to her. And I, looking back, I see, she's just a really young Christian, mm-hmm. like trying to figure it all out as she was raising us. Um, but when I was uh, going on into my teen years, really looking for love in all the wrong places. I think that emptiness of um, not having a bio- my biological dad or having a connection with my stepdad. And then, you know, church was still a pretty new thing um, and became sexually active at a very young age. Um, got pregnant with my boyfriend when I was 15 and had an abortion, which is something I really regret. But really at the time I was just so ashamed. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to find out. Um, and it seemed like an easy answer and even went in um, to Planned Parenthood and they're like, we're just scraping away a few cells. You don't have to think about it again, which is a complete lie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, How can you not think about that? And then um, remember just being super depressed and um, same boyfriend got pregnant again when I was 17. And this time I'm like, nope, I'm going to have this baby. He had a new girlfriend within a couple mm-hmm. weeks. Um, which would have been off and on. I mean, it has, was not a healthy relationship at all. And I'm like, I'm just going to have this baby. And I ended up dropping out of school because I was so embarrassed. I was like the honor roll student, uh, cheerleader, and then, you know, pregnant. So just stayed at home, slept in, watched soap operas, like really didn't know what was going on with my life. Depressed. I mean, looking back, I was seriously depressed. And it was my mom and my grandma's Bible study group that reached out to me and gave me a baby shower and would come and visit me. And even the pastor's wife would come to pray with me. And I'm like, I really don't want to talk to you. And I just turned my back to her. Um, but it was during that time that I realized, like, what am I going to do with my life? And I thought about, like, the Sunday school songs and, you know, Jesus loves me and God's always going to be there for us. And I just remember one day, I was about six months along, just waking, waking up and wrapping my arms around my stomach and saying, God, I have screwed up big mm-hmm. time. Like, that was my my awesome eloquent (laughs) prayer I have screwed up big time and if you could do anything with my life please do and I just felt this like light and this hope come in and I mean it was just like this complete change of this darkness and depression to I think God can do something with me this hope that was there I started reading my bible and going to church and um I had my son Corey when I was 17 Mm -hmm. and then God I started also praying for my future husband when I was pregnant and God um, brought John, who was the pastor's son, and <laughs> a couple weeks after I had Corey, he asked me on a date. I'm like, yes, and <laughs> and it's so funny because his mom was the one that had my back had been turned when she'd come and pray with me, 
and they I mean they just offered me so much grace because here I am this teen mom Mm -hmm. I mean you think you'd want something better for your son than that and they saw the change in me they saw what God was doing in me and they've always been so loving and encouraging so um, John and I married when when Corey was only nine months old. I'm wow. like, you're not getting away from me. We've been married 30 years now. So Corey's 31 and we've been married 30 years. So God, like when I prayed that, like if you can do anything with my life, like God's like, okay, mm. now that you've turned it over to me, like I have a few plans now that you're willing to relinquish to me. So yeah. Wow. It's an incredible story. Mm-hmm. Um when you were younger and your mom started going to church and you had that period of time between second grade and when you became sexually active and started looking, do you think that you were still, when you were younger, looking for that love and didn't find it in the church or was your back to it the whole time? Yeah, really, when I was little, like, I, I was all about the church. So I was all about, like, Sunday school and youth camp and um you know Wednesday night we'd have children's crusades and all that like I remember just I loved God I wanted to do the right things but I think when I got like junior high and well especially into high school like junior high it it was more like oh what does this boy think of me and so like those <laughs> thoughts of God kind of got pushed to the back and then when I got into high school and started being sexually active it's like I don't want to go to church because I think it was that guilt and that that mm-hmm. shame because I knew I wasn't doing what I should be doing. And it was like, okay, if I just stop thinking about God and go into church, then I could kind of do what I want. Mm-hmm. And so really it was that battle within like, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to church. And I would go like once in a while with my, you know, to get my mom off my back or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and it really was just like, I, I think deep down, I still believed in God, which is why I was trying to ignore it because mm-hmm. I didn't want, I didn't want to give up just that love and affection and stuff that I was seeking from boys mm-hmm. or from my boyfriend. Um, and so like, if I don't think about it, then I can do what I want. And as soon as I was like at the darkest point, I knew like, I could never figure this out myself. I could never find my happiness for myself. And that was really when I had to realize like God has loved me this whole time and it's just me running away from him and so being willing to like okay to do this life better than I've been doing it and I've been miserable (laughs) um, I need to do things his way and so it was I think but all those seeds planted when I was little are were definitely there but I didn't want to think about him I didn't want to think about him you know as I'm sneaking out of the house to go with my boyfriend I just like look let me if I just don't think about God then I don't have to deal with that guilt and that shame that I felt yeah. What advice might you give to uh, a young woman who's kind of in a similar situation? Maybe she's not pregnant, but she's running from God. She she knows it. Um, but, you know, it's it, it just hasn't been enough. You know, mm-hmm. God's been kind of in her pocket, not... I mean, I hate to put it that way, but I, I, yeah. I never got pregnant and... Uh, I don't need to share all the details, but uh, (laughs) my story, but I had a very similar situation where, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up loving the Lord and then in college, you know, was dating a guy that I wanted more than God. And, uh, and I knew it, I knew that I was running from him. Um, so what advice would you give to that young woman who's running from God, Tricia? Yeah, I think one thing that I, because I felt guilty 
Um, I didn't want to think about God or read the Bible because I felt like I felt more guilty and, and I still wanted what I wanted. And then, especially after I had my abortion and that shame, like, okay, this is unforgivable. Like, uh, yes, God loved me when I was a little kid and was like singing all these songs, but I didn't want to think about like what he thought of me. And because I didn't have like an affectionate father, I think I always saw, saw him as like, or more like disapproval. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. see his like love and compassion. I would just think of the things that God wouldn't like, or that I'm, um, he's displeased with me or things that, uh, you know, all the disapproval, instead of thinking of his love and compassion, that's kind of how I saw him. Um, Cause that's like my stepdad, like he wouldn't have affection towards me, but if we were too loud, he'd yell at us. So it was almost like that. You have to live the right way and just kind of appease my stepdad it was kind of how I saw God yeah and what I realized it wasn't until years and years later because even like the burden of having the abortion even after I like gave my life to him I carried that for a long time Mm -hmm. and then even after like John and I had been married for a while um an old boyfriend my first old boyfriend that I became sexually active with and thought I was in love with he like started reaching out to me in social media and I'm like oh my gosh these emotions were still there which mm-hmm. I had talked to John about and friends about but I really struggled because there was this person that's like trying to pursue me and it, it's it made me think about when I finally looked back at that time um and someone um actually one of my Christian writer friends said like picture God in those moments and I'm like I don't want to picture God in those moments because <laughs> I thought I would picture him like I can't believe you're doing that or you're, Mm -hmm. you know, why would you do this? And when I pictured like me turning to this first boyfriend who I thought I loved and thought we had this wonderful romantic first love, blah, blah, blah. I felt when I pictured Jesus there, I pictured like sadness and compassion Mm -hmm. because he wanted me to turn to him. Like he wanted to be, give me that love and fill me up and give me that what I was seeking. And instead I was seeking it from this teenage boy. or with my abortion again I thought you know before I'm like I don't want to think about God because I was so ashamed but when I pictured him in that moment I saw him weeping because he knew I was out of desperation making this horrible choice and Mm -hmm. I think so many times if we're just thinking of how we can make God happy we'll want to run we don't want to be him and be involved we don't want to stick by the rules but when we're realizing like he loves us he's compassionate he wants us to turn to him he's weeping because he knows he has something more to offer than what we're receiving when we could see him in that way then we want to be with him it's not like you did this wrong you did that wrong it's more like i know that was really hard i'm here for you like i can help you i want to love you and when we could see him in that way it makes all the difference and Mm -hmm. even after i became a christian and started got married and started seeking god and trying to do everything right i think still it was always like i gotta do this right as a mom or do this right in all these different ways and um like when even when i was first married because my high school years i was with boys i would drink at parties i was cussing all the time i like cuss words would slip out or I'd want to watch soap operas I'd want to listen to the wrong kind of music and so I'm trying to always like stop myself from sinning Mm -hmm. but the more I grew in intimacy with God and realized like he loves me and he wants to be there with me and I enjoyed that time suddenly I was wanting to do it because the right things because I loved him and those desires change instead of me just trying to stick by the rules and keep from sinning and keep from doing bad and it's like, I remember, like, I don't even have a desire 
to watch that stuff anymore, listen to that stuff, or curse words aren't flying out because my heart is changing. Like he's helping to, me to change, and I want to have this closer relationship with him, not because I'm just trying to keep from doing the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. So really, it is just our image of him. And my favorite scripture verses, Zephaniah three seventeen, where it talks about God singing over us, mm-hmm. and that. Like, I remember the first time I read that, I remember reading it. It was just like, I've been looking at God so wrong <laughs> this whole time. Like, I pictured like this dad, like over his little girl and like singing and so pleased with her. And I have to go back to that. Like, it's not him just trying to find fault with me, but he wants to be with me. He loves me. He wants to have compassion on me. And when I could see him differently, then it has changed everything about my life and my relationship with him. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I'm tearing up now because you just <laughs> articulated so much of how I feel about the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. You know, constantly as a young person wanting to just please him, just do the right thing. And it was never enough, mm-hmm. never enough. And then getting to the point where it's just desperate for love and attention, you know, looking for it in the wrong ways. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, one of the resources that really helped me was Beth Moore's Believing God study, where Mm. she goes through and she talks about, you know, it starts with believing God is who he says he is, and looking at his character. And um, there's a great thing out there right now, The Chosen. Have you watched this? The Chosen? Uh, No. I mean, I've heard about so much, I just need to watch it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Well... I've talked about the Chosen uh, TV series on this podcast before. I'm going to plug it again. And here's why. There's this moment in the first episode. The first episode, by the way, is the slowest. It's still good, but they're kind of building up to everything. And I'm going to give away the end. I think I started watching it and like, okay. Yeah. So it it gets better. Keep going. The very very end of the first episode, Jesus walks onto the stage, right? Mm. And um, Mary Magdalene has been caught up in her own self-destruction you know and she's at a bar and she's about ready to grab another drink to just stop the demons from like you know invading her mind Mm -hmm. she's just overwhelmed with all that's going on and Jesus walks over to her he's in the bar by the way and this is not in (laughs) scripture but it's uh, you know artistic license and it's awesome he comes over and at just as she's reaching for the alcohol he touches her hand and he says that's not for you. And it's such a beautiful moment. And she runs from him. She runs away. And then he follows her and he calls her name. And I just think, man, you know, it's such a beautiful example of who Christ is, you know, that he meets us where we're at, that he offers us something better, that he calls our name, even when we run away and he pursues us and he's a gentleman, you know, and man, it's, it's beautiful. So if you need some encouragement for 2020, I highly recommend it. Trisha, um, 2020 has been a hard year for everybody. How has mm-hmm. it been hard for you personally? Oh, my goodness. So it's so funny. I tell people all the time. I'm like, is there COVID out there? I don't even know. <laughs> because we still homeschool. I work from home. John works from home. We get our groceries delivered. Like our daily routine really has not changed much. Our kids were involved in homeschool sports, which we stopped doing. But like we're like okay this is kind of our life so basically I'm like welcome to my life people world this is how my life has been um, I, I watched a meme or I saw a meme on Facebook that said homeschoolers have been preparing for this for the last 15 exactly. years yeah like we have stocked food like this is our life so uh, the, when the hard thing is 
um because we've adopted seven kids uh one of our kids is really having a hard time Mm -hmm. and it's a lot with just the trauma of the past um reactive attachment stuff and none of this is on social media and I don't talk about this often and I'm not going to name what child this is um because it's her story but um you know adoption sometimes is so much harder than you think and kids from hard places is super hard and some of our kids are doing great and some of them just really really have a hard time and so um we've just had a really hard year with one of our kids Mm. where um you know, and it's, it, it really is, and this is actually goes back to um, what we're talking about, because of reactive attachment disorder, basically they didn't attach to someone when they were an infant or when they were younger, just because of abuse and neglect, and um, attachment is painful and scary, mm-hmm. and it's not like she's purposely thinking, I don't want to be connected or be close to my parents it's like I'm going to die Mm -hmm. like so love feels like it is killing her um to the point where you know she's like I will do anything to get out of this house and she's a teenager that much so she just wants to be gone and she doesn't want to be here and you know we're at the point like we're just trying to love you and she's Mm -hmm. like I don't want to be here and you know I mean it's just these conversations which it makes no sense that if I kind of can ignore her and kind of let her do her thing and I do my thing, it goes better. But anytime I try, like we tried to plan for me and her to go out for nails, get our nails done, it's this whole day was horrible. Mm. And it's huge behavior stuff and explosion. And it's that, you know, the therapist have told us it's just like she doesn't want our love because it's scary. And it's scary to be vulnerable when you've been hurt so many times. And I think. I can so relate to Scott, not that I'm even close to God, but when you're just trying to love someone who just, you're like, that is going to lead to destruction. And, you know, I just want to help you and I want to protect you. And you're just fighting. And I've told her like, it seems like you're running towards a cliff mm-hmm. and I'm just like trying to pull you back and help you and protect you. And you just want to do when I, what you want to do. And I'm like, I can see a cliff right there, um, which can relate to, I think, all of us with our Christian lives. And, you know, God has so many good things for us. And so that has been just consuming our year. So really, like, what do you mean, pandemic? I don't even, election? There's what? I don't have, (laughs) like, what is going on? So first of all, just because we're home and this is normal. But second of all, because sometimes the hard stuff, especially with adopted kids, is just, like, even more consuming than all Mm -hmm. the other stuff out there in the world. Well, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about your adoption journey. It's something that my husband and I uh, have had on our heart for a long time. I think it was you, not very long ago, shared about all of the kids that are available for adoption Mm -hmm. in the U.S. Kind of broke our hearts uh, to the point where I just emailed emailed someplace about... Okay, how do you get started on this process? Um, I'm not saying we are going to adopt. We have four kids. And if you listen to this podcast, you know how crazy our life is. But it's something that's been on our heart for a very long time. And I feel like, man, we're only here for a limited amount of time. There's families, kids that don't have people to love on them. But I think there's a lot of people, myself included, who hold back with maybe something that God's put on their heart because they're afraid. They're afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of their own childhood wounds coming up. And they're afraid of what, what, what might happen if this, you know, I try to love somebody who just runs away from me. 
So will you speak to that a little bit, Trisha? Yeah, yeah. So John and I have, well, I had Corey. Then we had two more. So Corey's 31, Leslie's 28, and she lives in the Czech Republic. She's a missionary with her husband and baby. And then Nathan's 26, and he lives in town. Corey has four kids, lives in town mm-hmm. with his wife. Um, so we have these adult kids. And when the whole time they were getting older, like growing up, John's like, we're going to retire someday. We're going to go start an orphanage in Mexico. Like he's all this, like he's always wanted to care for lots of kids. <laughs> and I'm more like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm more like, let's welcome in people into our house. So we've had teen moms and grandma, like, so I'm more, let's bring people in. And he's like, when we retire, we're going to do this. <laughs> so our, as our kids were getting older, I had been more interested in adopting, especially like when Steve is, Steve and Curtis Chapman, like all those little baby girls in China, mm. I'm like, we could totally take on a baby girl, you know? And he's been like, when we retire, well, as the kids got older, he just got really convicted. He felt like as he would pray, God would say like, why are you waiting mm-hmm. when there are kids out there? And so we actually did all the paperwork to adopt from China. And right when we turned our paperwork in, they ended up that, that year, they like closed everything. So they were doing like 10,000 adoptions a year and they just stopped mm-hmm. doing all those. And so I was like, I remember we turned our paperwork in, in 2008, 2009, we got a letter that said, um, we don't know if it's going to be five years. We don't know if it's ever going to happen. You know, you're still on the list, but everything stopped. And I remember just crying, like, I've been wanting this and praying for this for so long. I don't understand, like, if there's kids that need us and, like, we're open, like, God, you know, I'm just, like, my heart was broken. And I remember, like, after I had my little pity party (laughs) and all the paperwork and all the stuff we've been doing, I just remember saying, God, like, I relinquish, like, whatever child you have for us, like, you know who it's supposed to be. Maybe they're not even born yet, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm, like, thinking of these girls in orphanages. I'm, like, just you, I just give it to you. That very day, I ended up getting a call um, from someone I had met in a mops group. I didn't even know her. I spoke at the mops group, so she kind of knew us. She knew we were, like, open to adoption. And she says, um, we have a like extended family member who is pregnant and she had chosen a family and that fell through. She's um, due in three months. Would you guys be open to adoption? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) So it came from like that day getting a letter from China, like, we don't know if this is going to happen to out of the blue after after I relinquish, like after I'm like, God, Mm -hmm. you know, getting a call. Isn't it funny how that happens after we surrender? Like so many times, like key of my life like relinquish just relinquish I could go with every avenue of our life and talk about that but um (laughs) so we ended up meeting the birth mom that was so in November and then um she we uh, Alyssa was born in March so it went from we don't know if we're ever gonna adopt a baby to in March and around the same time God called us to move and we were just like this whole like God once we're like relinquishing he just led us down these paths we never planned so we lived in Montana and when we moved to Arkansas I remember walking into a church the first time and seeing these like panels with all these kids that were open for adoption Mm. and it was through kids that um their parents rights were terminated and they're in foster care but they're free for adoption so it doesn't mean you foster them and then maybe they might be going back to those biological parents those ties are separate like they're completely free to for adoption so at the time we had two adult kids Nathan was a teenager and then we had a newborn I remember going what is going on like there's all all these panels of all these kids that are available for adoption never even knew that was a thing before um, at all and 
um, as the years went by and we had Alyssa, our hearts were like, oh, maybe we could do more. Maybe we could adopt more kids and end up flying for a retreat. I was a speaker and a writer for Family Life. And they had a, a retreat for us. And I remember on the way down there, I read Kisses for Katie. Hmm. It's about a young woman from Uganda that adopted like 13 kids when she was like 18 Amazing. or something. And I, I totally thought like, okay, she could do that. Like we could take in a couple more kids from foster care. So I got to this retreat and I was sitting around talking to some other women in my room. Like, guys, you, can you just pray with me? And I just feel like I need to talk to my husband about this. And so they, we just grabbed hands and we're sitting on the bed and praying. And I called him that night from my hotel room. And literally the first thing out of his mouth is, have you ever thought about adopting kids from foster care? Mm. And that same day as I'm flying and reading this book, he went out to lunch with someone and he was like feeling like, well, we need, we wanted to adopt more, but we'd already spent all this money in China and that didn't happen. We paid for a private adoption. We're like, he took a ministry job, which is less money. So we didn't have the means to do it. And his friend's like, you don't have to pay to adopt from foster care. Like sometimes they even give you subsidies to help you after you adopt they cover all the adoption expenses and so we started doing the paperwork again and we got um, when Alyssa was two we got Casey who was two and Bella was five and we adopted them and then I'm like okay we're good we have adult kids we have these little kids and then again the more you just like seek God um, and plus I started working with teen moms in our town and just seeing a lot of them were in foster care mm. or had aged out of foster care and got pregnant immediately. And I'm like, if someone could just like get these girls and like pour into them before they get to that point. And I remember one church service is so clear, like a sibling group of girls. And I got in the car. I'm like, John, we're supposed to adopt a sibling group of girls. He's like, I know, like, God, I'm so thankful that God has like spoke to both of us. Because it is, there's been some hard days. I'm like, I'm so glad we're both <laughs> so clear that this was from God and that we're both in this together. Um, and then we adopted a sibling group of four girls who were 11, 13, 13, they were twins, and 15 at the time. So we went wow. from three, almost out of the house, to seven. So we still have six in the house. Um, wow. And it hasn't been easy. And I would say the older ones have been, it has been a lot harder because they had so much, I mean, years and years and years and years of junk and even in foster care lots of junk and then they were in an institution like a, a children's home is what they called it but they didn't live together they were in had house parents it's almost like an orphanage um just and that can bring in a lot of stuff um but i mean they are so much like we have seen huge growth even in the ones that are having a hard time right now we just see a lot of growth and changes and then some of them are just doing far more than we ever thought they could and they're in different places and they're doing awesome and so it's really uh, and I guess right at this point now like the outcome is not up to us like we are just doing what God asks we're loving them we're giving to them we're serving them we're a family and then you know that's what we what you can do about anything like you can't make all of them make good choices or you know not deal with trauma in their past i mean really the outcome is between them and god and we're just here to help as he has asked us to wow oh such an inspiring story and i love your heart and i love what you said about it's just a matter of obedience at you know a certain point um 
I, I remember when we started hosting exchange students and I'm like, they're all going to get saved. It's going to be amazing, you know, and because we said yes. And God's like, no, 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 no. The outcome's up to me. It's uh, not up to you, Janelle. <laughs> yeah. And really it is. It's just being obedient. And we never know the end of the story. Um, you know, so um, even if kids that are having a hard time right now, like we don't know where they're going to be in 20 years or, you know, yeah. I don't know. And um, one of our daughters got pregnant. She was uh, in college and she got pregnant and we didn't find out until she was 32 weeks. <laughs> she mm-hmm. hit it very, very well. Um, and now she's living with her boyfriend, with her baby. And I'm like, I pray for her so diligently and like, okay, God, you know, just get her heart, which I know I've seen her, I've seen her love God. Like I've seen her and I, you know, I, I, I understand. And he's, he always reminds me like, answered prayer isn't a quick fix he's like i'm gonna answer your prayers but it's not gonna be a quick fix i'm like i want a quick fix too (laughs) i want to see it tomorrow (laughs) i know know please yeah please god (laughs) Uh, i did my part (laughs) exactly yeah um couple final questions how do you fill your bucket trisha you're a busy mom you have all this stuff going on you're constantly pouring out um it's a lot so how are you filled up each day yeah, I love my quiet time in the morning with God, um, getting my Bible and my journal and um, a good devotional book or a good book that I'm reading. And I just love that time in the morning. Um, John and I also walk in the morning. <laughs> and so, and we read and pr- read the Bible and pray together. And so like my morning, that's almost like the build up for the day. Okay, I know there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. So that time where I get quiet time with God, time with John, we talk when we walk, like dealing with all of what's going on, and then time to like read and pray with him really fills me up during the day. And um, also, I think another thing too, when we are loving and serving, um, I think God pours through us too, you know, mm-hmm. so sometimes I'll be having a hard time, and I'm like, your grandma needs me again, and I'll go in there like, I'll have time for this. And she'll start thinking like, you are my sunshine. I'm like, grandma, you're so sweet. So it's during those times where I think like, oh my goodness, this is just exhausting. That God like gives me this little glimpses of just be thankful or enjoy this moment or see me in it, um, you know, through the day. So I try to like, you know, cause we, we get filled up in the morning, but then the day <laughs> wears mm-hmm. off, it wears it off, but really through the day, like seeing him there and sending up a prayer, seeing like how special this moment. And, and the other day I was walking out and um, I'm an online shop now where I'm selling my books because I wasn't speaking at homeschool conferences and so I have a garage full of books. <laughs> and so like the kids are like running around and the house, I'm kicking, you know, shoes out of the way and I'm going into the garage and trying to find the book I need and the, all these boxes. And I realized in that moment, God must have put it in my head, like all this chaos is like answers to the prayers that I've been praying, like praying for kids. Like we pray, we're praying for kids before we adopted them and, you know, praying for God to use this and expand my ministry and grandkids, like all these things that can be stressful during the day. And like, this is all God's answered prayers. Like even finding a book because I have to go through cases of books. I'm like, this is an answered prayer right here. Cause God like allowed me to do that. So I think so many times the things that can be overwhelming and stressful are actually our prayers answered, but it, you know, it's just even more challenges, but God answered those prayers and to look at it as this is an answered prayer. We need to be thankful. 
instead of letting that stress kind of build up. Yeah, it's wise. So you mentioned that when you were younger, it was, you know, a lot of like, I can't be good enough, uh, striving mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Do you ever find yourself prone to that now as an adult, uh, like trying to be good enough or falling into that rut again? Or do you feel like because of the disciplines that you have each day in your life or the way that you are filling up your cup that that's not a temptation for you anymore? I mean, I think it's always a temptation because we always, especially if we're like that type A, want to get everything done, want to have the house perfectly clean, want to have our kids all looking cute to go to church or whatever, (laughs) whatever it is. Um, And knowing that the more we say yes to God and the more he gives us that we would kind of have to leave our comfort zone. So I remember a time when I was just like, after we brought all these kids in and have piles of laundry, just like crying, like I cannot keep up. And just feeling God, like, say, not like not an audible voice, but I love you just as much with the piles of laundry and the messy house because I'm doing what he asked. Like, I have this house full of kids. And so that is what he asked me to do. So, of course, he's loving me. He doesn't expect me to keep a perfectly clean house. And so my friend posted a sign on Facebook that said, like, um, excuse the mess. Um, the more kids we've added, the lower our standards have gotten. <laughs> and it's, it's so true. Like my desk is piled high and you know there's always a mess somewhere in the house and even if the kitchen is clean like an hour later it's a mess but I've got to the point where I'm doing what God asks and these things are temporary (laughs) and um it it, that it's totally out of my comfort zone because I love a clean house I love everything done but that's when I need to depend on God I need to depend on him because I can't do this all on my own yeah and so it's actually a good place it's a reminder that I need God and it's okay to let go. And I mean, I would have been horrified 10 years ago if someone would have come to the house and saw like stuff strewn all over and kids shoes and all this. And now I'm like, come on in. (laughs) There's a lot of kids in here. (laughs) And so God has like changed my heart to a lot to like realize like it's okay. Like I cannot do it all. I can't do it all definitely perfectly for sure. Um, but if I'm doing what he asked me to do, then that's, that's what I need to be doing. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask you this, but one more before the final question, how did you know writing was the thing that you were called to do? Because it, it is very time consuming. You do have a lot of demands with, um, you know, laundry and feeding all these hungry children. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I have four, yeah. I know what it's like. <laughs> so yeah. how did you know that this was the thing for you? Because it is a journey. Absolutely. Um, so I uh, grew up loving to read. I was at the library like all the time and I did not grow up in a reading home. Come to find out when I did my, meet my biological dad, like there's writers and there's artists, like very creative people are from that side of the family. But I was at the library like all the time. And then when I was a young mom, when I actually just had one, I was in the church nursery and a friend of mine, Cindy, Um, Coloma, she actually lives in uh, Washington, Um, but she was in the church nursery with me, and she said, I'm I'm working on a novel, and when she said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is something I wanted, and like, I never even, never even crossed my mind one time. I always wanted to be a school teacher, and just that, that was like in my realm of possibility, and when she said that, it just lit something in me that was like, I want to do that, and her and I, we were so poor. We had little kids at home, and we saved up. I babysat for a friend all year long to go to Mount Harmon Christian Writers mm-hmm. Conference and even got a scholarship to go because John was in school and working 
and I saved up, I, I think I got like $2 an hour babysitting. It was ridiculous all year long to be able to go. And once I was there, it was like, yes. I mean, these were my people. They were talking about books and stories. And I just felt so myself there more than any place I had ever been. And mm -hmm. it was like me going home and <laughs> working when the kids were napping. I mean, it was just, it bring it brought me joy. And people all the time were like, because I think I've written over 80 books now, like, how wow. do you do this? And I've written two books this year already. And in the middle of all this stuff, I'm like, it's actually still a joy. Like mm -hmm. it's still, even though, yes, it's work. It's like, Ooh, I get to do this. And I love it. And I get to explore story worlds in fiction or, you know, interview people or talk to people in nonfiction. And it still is such a complete joy, even if it's hard <laughs> at times that I can't imagine doing anything else. And I'm so glad, like I got that when I was younger and I was willing, I was actually young and dumb enough to just try it like I didn't have a ton of self-doubt like I hadn't put built that hadn't built up yet I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna be a writer so I'm just gonna do this <laughs> gonna go to this conference and meet with these editors and looking back now I'm like I had no right but I was young and dumb and mm -hmm. I just went for it and I think that was what God had for me yeah 80 books later and <laughs> uh, if later. you're an aspiring writer or author uh, listening to this, you should check out Trisha Goyer's Write That Book group. It's pretty great. Yes, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love, I love all the people there. They're they're pretty great. Um, all right, final question: The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are all things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now, and why? Ooh, the word that when you said restoration, mm -hmm. I think that's it. I mean, it is, it's relinquishing ourselves and God restoring all the places either we're broken or someone else is broken and doing it in his way and his timing. Um, and I think that's all, you know, my life was about restoration after I screwed a big time, like I told mm -hmm. him, or even these kids' lives, it's restoration. Um, you know, we're still loving them. They might not want to accept it today, but we're we're still loving them. And that is bringing restoration sometimes, even if we can't see it. Mm -hmm. So definitely restoration. Wow. Well, Trisha Goyer, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle. <laughs> Until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. <laughs> and finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast, and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing a link. You're telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are, or what you've done. Jesus Christ loves you 
and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.